0: The Big Small Business Show is brought to you by Chartered Accountants of South Africa. Transform the future of your business. Partner with the CASA today.
1: And the courage to grow is business. MTN Business. A new world of business.
2: the menu today. How do you then, if you've got these sporadic or project-based business, how do you retain a full-time staff? Um,
0: I mean, I'm Zulu. We believe in ancestors. Uh, So there's a lot of times where something happens and it's like, oh, maybe your ancestors are unhappy and that's why you missed the flight. (laughs) Okay.
2: And today we're going to be talking about this um, addiction to the limelight. And I feel a little bit of a... A, a contradiction here because here I'm sitting <laughs> in the lim- lime mud. <laughs> Welcome to the Big Small Business Show and to our new format. Now, you as entrepreneurs know this entrepreneurial journey is a long one, and sometimes on our journey we disappear down paths, we get a little defocused. Hopefully, we find our way, and on our journey, we look for opportunities. Sometimes the door opens. And sometimes we have to be a little bit bit persistent because as you know, as an entrepreneur, mostly the doors remain shut. And we have to keep pushing and pushing as entrepreneurs. We know that this journey is about pushing and pushing and about trying to find a way through all the challenges that we have. So today we're going to be talking to some of our entrepreneurs about their challenges. I'm here with Mike Barretta, who is founder and MD of DotGood. He calls himself a social entrepreneur or social enterprise. He employs 26 people. And he's doing some very interesting stuff. Welcome. Thank you. So what is it that DotGood does?
1: So DotGood is South Africa's only dedicated for good marketing agency. And we work with brands that want to make a difference and large non-for-profit organizations. We offer a wide range of marketing and implementation services uh, to our clients. uh, And we hope to create a community of social change makers that believe in the greater good. Okay,
2: now you said all that, and I heard very little (laughs) of it. So let's (laughs) break that up into pieces. Okay, cool. Uh, Your first sentence, because it sounds like you've practiced that. What was that first sentence? You're the only? For good, yeah. marketing and PR agency. What does that mean?
1: So for good means we want to make a difference. So yeah. we marry CSI and marketing, um, and we look at ways to build brand, drive sales, uh, and do good all at the same time with our, uh, in, uh, our corporate clients. And then with our NGO clients, we look to um, implement their mandate
2: and to leverage what they, the good work that they're doing already. And now if I was an ad agency or a marketing agency out there watching this, I thought oh, that's a good idea. What would prevent me from copying you and just doing it and saying, just saying those nice words and then going to my clients and saying, let me help do that. What, would, what do you have in the, in the, in the business? that that marketing agency wouldn't have? So I think
1: I'd like to liken myself to a woolies of marketing agencies where mm. we believe in a purpose. Mm. Um, I used to work for the biggest brand activation agency in Africa for mm. many years. Um, I headed up their biggest division. And I realized that marketing is quite a wasteful uh, in- industry. Um, and I wanted to use my skills uh, to-, to make a difference uh, and to really help uh, in a country where there's so much need to help. Um, About five years ago just before I started the business uh, I developed a campaign called Trekking for Trash uh, which was centered around a 3600 kilometer walk on foot along a South Africa's coastline collecting litter every day to create awareness for a cleaner country and it was through that journey um, the countless hours of silence and self meditation that I realized on a professional level it is possible to build brands to drive sales and to do good at the same time so you to answer your question another competitor agency could offer the services but fundamentally marketing is very hard sales driven. Uh, and currently, what we seem to be doing is warm and fuzzy, but it mm. isn't really. We mm. are uh, delivering a huge return on investment because we're ticking a whole lot of different boxes. We're ticking a triple B double E box, we're ticking a sustainability uh, box, and in most instances, we're ticking a sales driving box
2: as well. So, coming back to the one of the, you know, looking at some of the challenges that you you put down here. One of them was actually communicating, so getting that out to to potential clients that you're not just about the CSI, but you actually are a strategic uh, option.
1: A hundred percent, yeah.
2: Okay, let's go to why isn't, so obviously that can't be true for everyone because you've got clients and you've got 26 employees and you've got projects and you've got success behind you. But what is the, in your your mind, the missing piece, what are they not, are they not wanting to hear it? In other words, is it just this, yeah, 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 just, you know, just do whatever. Is it that they don't care, or they don't understand, Where where do you think the major
1: problem lies? I would say all three. And I think our key challenge is finding the right person in an organization that is prepared to sign off a campaign that ticks so many different boxes because brand managers are essentially a client of a traditional agency where their mandate is to deliver on a brief that has been um, handed down to them by the marketing manager and in turn by the marketing director so they aren't briefed to think outside the box so we need to find the right people to be talking to to show them how much more they can be doing with their marketing and their CSI sprint. Ultimately, you want to combine both of them, marketing and CSI, to push your business forward and to uplift uh, the community in which it serves, as well as the environment. Because in South Africa, today's beneficiaries are going to be tomorrow's consumers. And the sooner brands
2: realize that, the better. If, if, if you had to put down the value proposition into a formula with an equal sign in between, another yeah, is a very obscure question. What is the very this what's on this side equals what like give me that in obviously not in mathematical terms but what is the formula that you're selling compassion mm-hmm. plus quality plus ROI equals results okay this let's, let's talk about the your, your future how you see the future of, of uh, dot good how big does it get in five years, in 10 years? What's the vision for for, for the organization? So
1: having come from such a big agency, I don't want that at all. I believe that we will always be boutique yeah. um, and we will always service a niche set of clients. We're quite choosy about who we choose to work with. We don't work yeah. with everyone because we can't help everyone yeah. because we, we are so, so niche. Um, so 60 million Rand uh, annual turnover, yeah. um, 40 40 staff nationally, Cape Town, Durban um, and obviously up here uh, in Joburg. Um, and I think for me what is the most exciting is the type of people that we'll have working in this organization. Uh, millennials that really care, that give purpose, that love coming to work, that find passion in what, in what they do because it's different, because it's uh, ticking so many of those boxes and because it's for the benefit of society, the client and in some instances the environment as well.
2: Last question before we take a break yeah, is, is your view on what's the difference between a social enterprise uh, in terms of the social good that it does and let's call it a normal enterprise what's the difference in terms of what social good it does? So I think that that's a very
1: difficult question Um, I've read a number of books on social entrepreneurship and I think sometimes people that portray themselves as social entrepreneurs are in a very gray area Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that if ninety percent or even eighty percent of what you do benefits others or the, the environment, it makes you a, a social entrepreneur.
2: We're going to get on well because I have the same point of view. I think <laughs> lots of people sit under this banner, and uh, should, should not be under the banner. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to take a break and now. When we get back, we're going to talk more about the issues that Dot Good is facing. Welcome back. I'm sitting in the offices of DotGood with the founder and managing director, Michael Barretta. 26 employees, a social enterprise, and doing some very interesting stuff. Now, Michael, one of the, the things that you put down here was the fact that you know you do campaigns, and there's no, you know, it's basically you start again. There's Control Alt Delete. After every project is finished, you start again. Wouldn't it just elaborate on that? Do you not have the same clients and do multiple different types of projects with them? Yeah. So obviously
1: that's the ideal situation where we deliver fantastic results, um, and then the client uses us again. The challenge in our space is that there are so many below-the-line marketing agencies that uh, clients are required to send out a brief to three suppliers each time, uh, and then we have to pitch, and we're not guaranteed to get that work anyway. And a lot of thought and a lot of our design hours go into pitching uh, to these clients, um, but because we're so unique and so different, the client often lends themselves to, to going with us uh, if, if we're lucky.
2: Are there any, is there such a thing as a multi-year contract in, in your industry? No. No. That's all specifically
1: bite-sized projects? There may be for the big guys in the industry, um, whereby they can offer a wide variety of services where we're a little bit too niche to say, right, we're going to use you for three years for everything that we do because we can't necessarily deliver on the
2: service requirements for every single brief. How do you reconcile, you know, in the last segment you spoke about the fact that you choose your clients and then one of the issues is that we don't have enough clients. Tell me how you reconcile that. Um,
1: I'm going to go back to the Woolies analogy. Uh, it's all about doing the right thing and er- attracting the right ki- clients for a long-term vision. I think that's, that's our, our principle. And our but principle. they don't
2: come back, so it's not, you know, they, or they're hard to come back or it's sporadic.
1: I wouldn't say they don't come back. I would say, I mean, I would say that we get a fair amount of work from the same clients. And uh, a testament to that is our biggest lead generation is through word of mouth. Okay. and referrals. Um, and that's where we get the vast majority of our new work. In fact, we struggle to find new leads elsewhere other than through connections and um, and people that we that we know.
2: So there's no one hitting the, the phones or uh, calling up the CSI manager at a big corporate?
1: Yeah, we, ha- we have had salespeople. Um, I think maybe I've made a few uh, bad uh, appointment I decisions. Yeah. I think we all do we've that. All, we've all done that. <laughs> um, And yes, it is something I will look at at the future. We're busy reading our website. Uh, We're busy um, looking at SEO targeted campaigns at each of the clusters. So there are four main ones. So we've got our NGOs. We've got our other social enterprises. We've got our brands that want to make a difference. And then we've got our foundations. So we're going to create custom campaigns that talk to each of those individuals as opposed to we kind of have been pushing our overall product offering until now which hasn't yielded the best results so we've learned a lot and we're going to change
2: that and refine that and carry on you open up a, a door there around who we employ as, as uh, social enterprises or as, as, as enterprises this does, does the quality and, and this is this is a very leading question another answer but I'm going to leave you on does the quality of the people you employ Affect the outcome ROI for the client. Absolutely,
1: and what I've consciously done is I've seen it in other agencies where you have many different departments that handle different aspects of a campaign and inevitably that falls apart Hmm. because there's no single individual that's tasked with the passion to see that job to completion so what we have here is we have little mini businesses where we have account executives slash managers that manage the campaign from procurement to client liaison to going to check on the activations on the weekend to delivering the feedback and to making sure the client's happy and I've really seen the benefit of that approach, that client centric approach in our business. And it takes a very specific type of person to be able to do so many different things. Uh, initially, it is a big challenge when we recruit people. Uh, they all say, We're willing to learn, we'll take this on, we take this on. And kind of six months in, they're kind of sitting there going, Oh my goodness, what have we done? Mm. And then there's kind of this like, you, uh, hip and bend where they come around and they go, I'm loving what I'm doing because they have the authority to manage something and very few businesses kind of go, here have it, take it, do it
2: but do it properly. So how do you now, coming back to, I'm try- I'm thinking through the model and I'm going I think I found a, a, a space that I want to go into. How do you then, if you've got these sporadic or project-based business, how do you retain a full-time staff? So,
1: so we don't. So we are about to, so we work on, on set period contracts. some of our staff that are working in our health testing centers Mm -hmm. so for example for our NGO clients we will say right we want to test x number of people for whatever uh, it is let's use HIV uh, for an example and we hire 15 people for a store for a year and a half and then we will sign a contract with them to make sure that we are protected from that um, and then obviously that the client pays us accordingly so we make sure that we never so, so just foot.
2: let me try and understand the business thing, the business piece. I'm going to go one lower. So, the, sure. the, you 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 get the business. You attain the business. You then plug it with the right skills. So you find the right teams, either past or new, um, or, teams, train. Or, or train, or yeah. train. Yeah, Put them into to execute on that on that project and make a margin and monitor and became the liaison with the with the client.
1: 100%. It's a little bit more than just, yeah. I mean, we, we do the feedback reporting, we yes. come up with the look and the feel, we uh, use marketing principles and strategies to make sure that there's enough footfall into the yes. into those sites. So the um,
2: marketing side of it, I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm just thinking around the sure. model. So the marketing side is, is, let's call it a head office function, a full-time function that's looking after all these projects and designing and getting all the people in and the relationship with the... With the clients but the execution piece is outsourced each time hopefully with um, pre-existing um, staff or, or, or new ones that you have to train so correct. you must have a training element as well correct okay correct. so the efficiency then is to try and retain those is about continuity so that they don't then ev- evaporate into other projects yeah with, is that right yeah so we have a big pool i mean we have a huge pool of quality people that we
1: can pull on for different skills at, at at different times. And this is part of being a social entrepreneur is that what I've realized in South Africa is there's such a desire a dire need for for employment. People unfortunately don't have the constant nine to five that that we may be used to, they're quite happy to come on, on kind of for a six-month contract or work uh, weekends for, for this, for this um, period of time. So not only are we doing good through the campaigns, but we're also doing good by providing this massive
2: workforce with opportunity and employment. You spoke about all the, the projects actually being bespoke, right, that you designed specifically you listened to the client, you designed something for their needs. Going one level below in terms of the processes that run it, how many of the let's call them modules or whatever of, of process, be it the marketing module or the managing the RRI module, those pieces, how many of those are are replicable between the different projects? Uh, sorry, so I don't understand so the if, if you've got two levels to this, right? You've got the project, yes. Okay? And somebody has to go and do something out there. Yeah. But back at home, back in this office, yeah, there, there's a lot of stuff that you're doing for that project and for that project and that project, and they're the same thing, the same type of thing. yeah. And those, those Lego pieces, or, yeah, or, or modules of, of process, yeah. Would you s- I'm trying to get back to the head office function, yeah. right? Is that reusable, is your process reusable? Um, So I think I I understand your question.
1: I think there are pros and cons to that. And the biggest pro for me is to empower an individual to manage a project, to make sure that it runs smoothly, efficiently, and delivers a high ROI. Within our team, we do share information. So we're not going to go if we need to buy ten thousand flyers. We're not going to Google ten thousand flyer flyer supplier flyer suppliers each time. We're going to talk amongst ourselves and say who delivers the cheapest rate for our suppliers. We're going to we're going to use going to use them. If that answers your your um, question correctly, for me the. The biggest benefit is the client-centric approach that we use. If there is repetition within each of the projects, I'm prepared to uh, forego that for the benefit of, the, of that quality delivery of, of that campaign.
2: Okay. I think we need to take a break now. After the break, I'll come back with um, some thoughts uh, around the last two segments and, um, and maybe some ideas. Mm-hmm. Welcome back. Uh, I'm in the offices of Dot .Good with Michael Barretta. Uh They are a social enterprise, 26 employees doing projects all around the country, doing some really, really good stuff. Now you won't hear this often, so sit back and listen. There's very little I can teach this man. You know, it's, I think it's a, a, a once in, 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 in every couple of years I come across an entrepreneur. Who has deeply thought about their business? Who's very strategic in in the way that they think? So, the next few minutes are going to be a big stretch for me, trying to yeah give some sort of insight into where how I would do so- something slightly differently. And I I say that with trepidation because Michael probably said, "Yeah, we tried that. Yeah, it didn't work." Okay, so here goes, Michael. So first of all, well done. I think I think honestly, what I've just said now is is is. Is very true I think that there is a very intellectual um, approach to to this business you've thought about it there is I, I like um, the fact that you are picky about your clients I think that shows confidence in your product in yourself um, and what you can do and of course you're protecting your brand you know in in, in terms of that so I, I love that I love the fact that also the um, the fact that you empower your teams what I don't like about that is the fact that you those teams evaporate and you know condensate uh, is that the right word is again in and out of of projects and they, you rely on that and that requires an, if, uh, a bit of luck that they're not sitting in some other jobs and yes you might have a big pool but there's always going to be a training element so there's an efficiency loss there and that just might be the industry the one question around. The project base and how you get around that and and maybe something to think about here is around um, creating your own uh, thing your own brand around a a certain project and basically plugging clients into that thing in in Corp I've done that relatively successfully with a project called, called pitch and polish it's in its eighth year it's got some major brands associated with it it's been going for many many years and it's got a whole bunch of brands that plug into it but we own it and um, as those long-term and their three-year contracts expire they either renew or they or, or you've know, got sufficient time to find others but we own the IP and that creates the value in the in the business so to me it'd be about thinking about what the that thing is about what is that that project that 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 you can own and build out that is forever yours, it belongs to dot good and then plug in people and let that morph. I mean for me that's the only real solution I can think of there and that gives you a level of predictability what's gonna happen next year because it's yours and you're gonna run it and the year after and the year after and you can evolve that product yeah. okay into something um, that creates profit, exposure, whatever the case may be. The um, just coming back to where we agree on in terms of the social enterprise, I think what I really enjoyed about your, your response to that because that to me is always a, a trick question um, from my perspective because I, I feel social enterprises, the word social entrepreneur has become a label where everyone who is looking for money has run from the from all sorts of sectors into the, under that label and sort of say I'm a social enterprise and they're really not. I really think that you are, and not that I'm the judge and jury, but I really think there's sincerity in what you do, and, and I think you're right, about 80-90% of your outcome benefits people or the environment or communities or whatever the case may be. Um, just coming back to lessons for entrepreneurs, and just maybe I can't give you benefit, but maybe using you as an example for, for entrepreneurs out there. A lot of entrepreneurs that we've had on this particular segment have gone into their business just because uh, they were standing in a queue and they met somebody. They had nothing better to do. They watched an advert on TV and they thought, "Oh, that sounds interesting." But you've come from a place of experience, and I think that's a very, very important piece. Is that you've come in, and that's probably why I can't find, you know, a much place to help you here because you've got thousand times more experience in this space than I do. And so you've thought through that. And I think the message to entrepreneurs out there is to try and if you're going into a business, is to actually leverage the experience that you've had in that. And I think you've done that really, really well. Um, I think what's also important here is that you're quite I don't want to use the word vulnerable, but I think Um, aware open to the the knowledge that you um, that there are flaws in this model and you're not in, in protection of the model you're saying there must be a better way and that to me is a great great indicator of success because when people are saying that I'm imperfect there are flaws in this there's a better way it opens yourself up to improving and that's not a common thing amongst entrepreneurs entrepreneurs very often, particularly sitting in this situation here, are in, in, in defense of, uh, in the marketing, look how great, great we are. So I think that's a very mature response. So on that, uh, uh, Michael, I, 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 um, I sit here stumped, okay? uh, and, and, and gratefully so, that, that people are in niche business, your lifestyle business, and uh, you are doing such good things in this country.
1: Great, thanks very much.
0: I'm Zulu. My grandmother taught me STEAM, uh, but I had to grow up to realize that's my way of coming back into me.
2: Welcome to our Leadership Series with somebody really, really special that I met a couple of weeks ago. Her name is Zibu Masatobe and she calls herself uh, the future president. She works with young people and old people in fact to teach them how to become more financially liberated, understand their finances in order to liberate themselves from poverty. She's very passionate about South Africa, passionate about educating young people in terms of taking control over their own lives. Her passion has uh, taken her all sorts of places in the world, including meeting Barack, uh, President Barack Obama himself uh, when she was a Mandela Washington Fellow. She still is, but uh, when she, she w- was uh, nominated uh, as, as one. Um, we've been talking about different things, and today we're going to be talking about knowing yourself. You know, Zibu, you, you've come from um, a Deep rural context went to a rural school, rural university, and then went to a let's call it that what you've called an affluent university. Being in, in, in many situations you've got to see in terms of your differences like who you are in, in part of your difference will, will create a context for knowing yourself better.
0: Uh, yeah, definitely. So for example, when I was younger, uh, with each place where I arrived, I wanted to fit in. <laughs> you know, with the place. So now we're in an educated place and I want to look educated or I want to look hip as well and I want to look, you know. But as I grew up and I think it was my second job uh, where I realized that actually I'm a flavor. Mm. So if I'm added into any environment, if I stay myself, I can add a different perspective and I can add, there's people that don't know. Um, For an example, I was working for Lever Brothers and there was people that don't know that my brothers use Dawn. So in a conversation, I shared that the most annoying thing is black men use their sisters' lotions. And people are like, but men don't use lotions. I'm like, no, they do. They get dry in winter. (laughs) And you know what, 20 years later in South Africa, we've got um, Vaseline for Men as a brand, and we've got all of the other brands coming up with the male variant of a lotion. But if my voice and if people don't add an aspect of who they are into their work, um, a lot of wealth and a lot of flavor could be lost. Um, in settings,
2: a lot of, a lot of people don't go through the time of trying to know themselves. They spend their their days uh, in defence, their days in blame, blaming others. How do you how do you get past a, a point where it's outward, where you, uh, outward focus is about you and what you can do for me and what you did to me, to mm. to me and what I did to me and what my power is? How do you move from outside in?
0: And well, I think life. <laughs> life hits you until... <laughs> I, I, I don't really, I don't know how other people do it but life gets so terrible until you realize I can't be failing because alone is making me fail, okay? That, that excuse can work once, twice, then you realize um, regardless of what Alon does I'm still failing so maybe I might start looking at myself um, and see if there's anything that I need to do that can affect my outcomes so a lot of um i mean i'm zulu we believe in ancestors uh so there's a lot of times where something happens and it's like oh maybe your ancestors are unhappy and that's why you missed the flight Mm -hmm. (laughs) okay and um so you grow and as as you miss more flights you can't keep thinking it's your great-grandfather okay so at some point you need to realize that when you wake up late chances are that you you will miss your flight. So I think what brings you to be able to look more at yourself is the amount of times that you fail. So I'm I'm a great great failure, I always tell people, even now I like to fail fast, because the faster I fail, the more I can get to the right way of doing things. Um, But without a doubt, um, knowing yourself and knowing how you are affecting your own life is one of the greatest skills I've learned.
2: What tools can you use to self-reflect? In modern society, we use psychologists, we use coaches. Um, What happens if you can't afford those um, societal tools that we have? What happens if you can't afford the thousand rand or whatever for the coach or the psychologist? I'm
0: I'm lucky that way. My grandmother is a Mm (laughs) Missongo, and we were told in Zulu we've got a culture of steaming. I don't know if it's still practiced, uh, but you, you boil a pot of water, they put herbs in it, and then you cover yourself with a big, bang, with a big blanket, and then while you're covered in yourself, you're supposed to visualize the things that you want in life and uh, speak to your ancestors. It does ama- I amazing. Mean, I looked down upon it before I got an education until I realized the psychologist is more expensive, but when I go through things, I can meditate that way because sometimes when I close my eyes, I don't get there. Uh, I mean, a Catholic person, they like to candle. It's, it's part of their, who they are. Um, I, um, a I Jewish people, and I said in the Sabbath, uh, they do their process, it's, it's, it's ritual. So it calms you, it brings you back. I'm Zulu, my grandmother taught me steam, uh, but I had to grow up to realize that's my way of coming back into me. And all those roads lead to the same place, to a place where you're talking to yourself about yourself. And the only outcome that you get from there is positive. So if you don't have money and you're not Zulu, can I recommend? Or <laughs> As a solution, it might actually work.
2: <laughs> we'll have to get the herbs and put them on the screen now. So they will
0: fly to the bottom of the
1: screen.
2: <laughs> so, so now, once again, it's about um, self-reflection. But you can also be self-flagellating, where you can, you can, know, you can keep... Blaming yourself, you can move to the extreme mm. of uh, it's always me and I, I, I always to get that wrong. And mm. how do you sort of guard from from moving from it's a self reflection and self awareness mm. to, to to self flagellating?
0: Well, I recommend a gentleman by the name of Kriston. Now I mm. met him in my first year of MBA at Stellenbosch and I think I was a self flagellator. Um, the way in which he introduced himself and what he'd been through in his own life totally inspired me in two seconds. Um, but what I learned and how we taught reflection was, he said, so they imagine there's no right or wrong. Just imagine that there is. So when you look back and you reflect, it's not so much to, to pick up the right and the wrong, but it's to look at what is, and then deal with what is, because when something's happened, It's happened. It's past already. So the only lesson you can get is for the future. Um, And looking back and just to blame another person is as bad as blaming yourself because then you're never going to improve. You're just going to keep telling yourself that you're not good. So I would say when you're getting on a journey of knowing yourself, be kind. Be as kind as you would be if you were helping somebody else on a similar journey and try not so much identify what was wrong and what was right and just what happened. Um, if a person passed away, it wasn't a good or it wasn't bad, they passed away. So that's what happened. And try and look at what you can learn from that. But if, you, if you're going to apportion blame, it's not better if you blame yourself. It's just worse.
2: We've uh, run out of time. Today I learned uh, so much. I'm going to get my blanket when I get home and you'll give me a, the, the recipe for, 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 for the, for the herbs. herbs and I'm going to go I'll <laughs> Try
3: it.
0: I'll, t- I'll
2: try it and see if I find myself. Um, mm. Thank you for your integrity and thanks for your, the, the, the way that you um, bring o- authentic leadership into this conversation. It's not about all how great or wonderful you are, it's about your weakness and your strength and all those wonderful things. Next week we're going to talk about uh, the speed of wealth. Um, I know that's something you're very, very passionate about.
0: Very much.
2: Okay. Well, that's it for my leadership slot for today. Uh, Do stay tuned for what's coming up next. But I
3: think it's not right to give the impression that you are doing so well in a very short space of time. Meanwhile, you're actually broke. Mm
2: Welcome back now this part of the show now has become um, I think one of the more interesting parts of the show where we go into depth about a particular subject we've been polling you for a number of years asking what you want to talk about on the show want us to talk about on the show and you've asked us to go more in depth into certain subjects one of those subjects uh, is marketing and branding that came up very very strong and of course, we, in studio, we have our own Mona Lisa Sam, who is our marketing and branding specialist. Today, we're going to be talking about something a little sensitive. I think, uh, well, I think you know us by now. We talk about all the sensitive stuff. And today, we're going to be talking about this um, addiction to the limelight. And I feel a little bit of a, a, a contradiction here, because here I'm sitting <laughs> in the limelight talking to you. But there is a serious danger that I see many entrepreneurs who get a little bit of press, they get into the, the, the limelight, all their friends send them Whatsapps and, uh, and uh, Instagram back hearts and all sorts of things giving them affirmation, how cool they are and then they get addicted to it and then go in front of the next press and the next and the next and all the while when you go and look at their financials, at the business, they are going on a steady decline until they finally implode. Now at RaceCoop we've had a number of those people and, and it breaks my heart when you go to somebody and you say to them, I know you've got this press but focus on the business because if you don't focus on the business, the business is going to disappear. And they are so addicted to this, this, uh, this limelight, this thing here, yeah, the camera, that um, it takes their focus away from the business. You see that too, right?
3: Yeah, all the time. <laughs> all
2: right. Tell me about it.
3: Um, I think, I mean, it's my view. I think the ability to instantly share your success has contributed to that. Mm. So like you say, you can have uh, a magazine shoot, right? Yeah. That might have just come, you know, from somebody recognising how well or how interesting your business is. Because I think interesting and well are two different things. Yes. And it, you know, you capture it and then you can instantly share it with the world, right? Yeah. And then those likes and those, uh, oh my word, this is excellent, you know? just kind of do something to the entrepreneur psychologically and take away their focus on actually building the business. Um, and this happens also in the instance of entrepreneurs. I mean, with the whole kind of um, um, world around accelerating entrepreneurs, there's a lot of these programs where you select selected you top and, and so forth. And you find a lot of entrepreneurs every three months they're in some program that recognizes them and, and so forth, they become addicted and you start to ask yourself, when are they building their business? Mm. When are they running their businesses? There's a time and a place for limelight, it, mm. it's my view. And to be very honest, um, you know, if I speak for myself, I I'm I'm actually a very shy person, believe mm. it or not, and I fear I limelight. <laughs> I fear limelight. I'll use the word fear because once you're out there it it puts you out there and people will start to follow start to dig is to say what is she really doing and if you don't have depth to support that Mm. you're caught out i I, i'm one of those people never want to be caught out
2: Uh, well i I think uh, what's you know i've been working with you for a number of years and 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 there's this important balance about keeping focus on actually the the business of the business The 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 issue that you know and and I come across the same type of individuals uh, that you speak of, and they they also because the media then their fans think they are much bigger than they are. They almost are forced to fake it much bigger that way, and creating more and more of a fake uh, a persona around themselves and and their business. Now I see some of these businesses who come to us for, for assistance and and, and, the, and you see the financials are basically with big mind sides, yet they are in the press, uh, if, you know, in complete the opposite. And it's such a, a contradiction for me because there's also the fake it till you make it story. But sure. but so where's the line? Where's the line between how much you fake it and, and, and you know, because We've we've all put on our makeup and make ourselves look a little puffed up, you know, bigger than we really are. But where's, where's the, the line?
3: line? I think, in my view, when you start to do a disservice, because remember. When you are putting yourself in the limelight, there's somebody genuinely watching you from an mm. inspiration perspective, right? Mm. And they following your story. I did an interview once and I said, it's important to find that one person that you can relate to. Now, if you are doing a disservice to that one person or many people by really putting out something that is not true, if mm. I, a true reflection of building a business, building credibility then for me, you've crossed the line. Mm. Um, I think, as I said, there's a time. There's a time to do a radio interview because your business is of interest and you want to tell the world about it. But I think it's not right to give the impression that you are doing so well in a very short space of time. Meanwhile, you actually broke. Mm. And the danger is that you actually start to... People don't see the need to invest or partner because you're doing well. You don't, okay. you don't need funding mm. uh, you know or a funding opportunity because you've really mastered this you know so it, that's what I find happens So the minutes is a disservice To people that are looking up or even potential partners um, Who might want to now do business with you mm. and actually find that there's no real value here? It's a disservice, so I think you have to be very conscious about when how much of it is being done and what is the purpose of of being out there.
2: And the how much part, and maybe in starting to to close off now, the how much part is how much time Mm. this takes. And I know that I have got numerous opportunities to do radio on a daily basis and I've turned down the daily radio because how can I possibly do well on radio every day and still run my business? I, I, I don't have that ability. And this format suits me as well so it's also how much time and and what you feel see in the addiction is it actually becomes exponential you go on to this show and then you go to those two shows and then you go to two shows in radio and then you're in the press and blah 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 and then you just it basically catches a light and your business burns absolutely like, yeah so uh, I think uh, in order to to s- summarize I think what I learned from you today um, is this word interesting, that you're interesting, and why that why that was important for me is that because you can become uninteresting at, a, at another point. Everything has its time and, and uh, you know, you flavor of the month. More, yeah, there'll yeah. be
3: someone more interesting. Yeah. And that's where you've got to, you know, draw a line and say, right, I'm now building my business and maybe in two years' time, it's again time to go out there. Great way
2: to end. Uh, well, I hope you enjoyed that and I hope you enjoyed the... The uh, honesty as much as I did. I love these uh, honest conversations and uh, uh, thank you for watching. Well, it's time for my reflections for today, and today we're going to do another Carlson Dutz cartoon. As you can see on your screen, we see Carlson there coming to a fortune teller, teller Madame Tasori, and on her uh, caravan there it's a fortune teller all problems solved everyone welcome with a big uh, sticker over no entrepreneurs allowed entrepreneurs you're on your way go away so what's this cartoon about I think um, maybe it's about a few things and no disrespect to fortune tellers and those people who go to fortune tellers but really this is about the fact that um, first of all our future generally is in our own hands. I strongly believe if you have an internal locus of control, to a large extent, not 100%, but to a large extent we control our success or failure. And uh, going to somebody to find out what our future is going to be like really indicates that you have an external locus of control in my opinion. So. If you are one of those people that thinks that uh, you, a fortune teller is going to tell you whether you 're going to succeed or not, chances are you're going to be one of those who will not. The second thing is that uh, pro- when she talks about problems being solved, the only person that can solve your problem is you it 's just you, whether you seek advice from other people and I talk about practical advice and not you know what the future holds i 'm talking or you do it yourself, the, your, your future is in your hands. Your success is in your hands and solving problems is in your hands. And it's very important that we don't uh, feel that uh, other people are, are, are able to solve our problems. It's only with us and in, in collaboration with us that we can solve problems together. They will not solve the problems for you. And if you are one of those people who goes to advisors, mentors, all the like, and and pray that they are going to solve your problems, you're probably going to be part of the 96% that fail. Stop it. Stop doing that. Take responsibility. Own your future. Own solving your own problems. Well, with that chastisement, I hope you uh, enjoyed the show today. And uh, remember, if you think it, write it down and make it a reality.
1: The courage to grow is business. The Big Small Business Show made possible by MTN Business, a new world of business.
0: And by Chartered Accountants of South Africa.
2: Lead your industry with a responsible partner. Partner with the CASA today.